light in your house you put it underneath the cabinet no right you put it right in the middle of the room why that it gives off the maximum light that's exactly what's going on here see God isn't even missing a detail he's saying look when you set up the menorah in there because it's the only light fixture I want you to make sure that the lamps are facing outward that they're not facing towards the back why because when God wants light to be there he wants it to be the what the brightest When you're installing a light fixture in your home, you don't place it in a far corner or behind a piece of furniture. You want it to produce the most light possible. As Pastor Daniel teaches today, God wants our lives to give off light with the utmost intensity. But that means we can't just sit off in a corner. We have to allow him to move us and use us as he will. Listen and learn how to trust the Lord to move you so you're the brightest light. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Lamps and Levites. All right, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 8. Numbers, chapter 8, as we continue our study here in the book of Numbers, We're in the book of Numbers. Now, I realize for many people in your through the Bible attempts, you always skip over Leviticus and Numbers. So in case you don't know where it is, if you open up your Bible, you have the book of Genesis, you have the book of Exodus, and most people make it part of the way through Exodus, and then you get bogged down towards the end. But we studied that. Then you have the book of Leviticus, which is everyone's favorite book in the Bible, and it's also the cure for insomnia. For some of you, listen, if you're ever having a hard time sleeping, just bust open the book of Leviticus. I guarantee you'll be sleeping by chapter four. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And then you have the book of Numbers, and we're here in chapter eight. Now, today we're going to take chapter eight, and then when we gather together in our next study here, we'll do chapters nine and the beginning of chapter 10. Now, what I want you to understand is that Chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 is actually the end of the first section in the book of Numbers. And we're going to see the second Passover. Now think about that. We saw the first Passover in, like a, in Exodus chapter, what, like 11. And now we're going to see the second Passover now in Numbers chapter 9 when we get there in our next study. And what that means is everything between about the midpoint in the book of Exodus and now the first third of the book of Numbers all took place over the span of what? One year. And then as we move into the next section, the rest of the book of Numbers is actually going to go, it's going to cover about 38 years, the rest of the book of Numbers. And then the book of Deuteronomy only covers like a two to a three month period And that's the entirety of the children of Israel from the time that they leave Egypt to the time that they go into the promised land. Now, if you've been tracking with us in this series that we're calling Camp, you realize that God has kind of got us bogged down in details. We've been spending a lot of time looking at how are the children of Israel meant to be arranged as it relates to the tabernacle with all of the furnishings on the inside, and how are they meant to break camp? So how are you supposed to set up camp, and how are you meant to break camp? And there's all these details, because we realize that God is a God who loves order. 
God isn't more glorified by happenstance. He likes order. And so we keep rehashing all these different things. Now, I call today's study Lamps and Levites um, because it has a nice little uh, ring to it. And that's really what the chapter is about. It's about the arrangement of the menorah or the seven-branched candlestick in the tabernacle, and it relates once again to the Levites. So let's just jump right on in. Numbers chapter eight, verse one. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Now, notice the progression of revelation. The Lord speaks to Moses and Moses speaks to Aaron. We find this over and over again in the book of Leviticus and now the book of Numbers. And I keep bringing it up every time it shows up because it's so common that you hear this phrase that the Lord speaks to Moses and he wants him to tell Aaron. And we keep being reminded of the fact that Moses is functioning as a mediator between the Lord and the Lord's will and Aaron, who is his older brother, but is also the, one of the chief priests. He's the chief priest. And so God is speaking to Moses, and Moses is mediating the message to Aaron. Now, why is that important? Because in the New Testament, we find that we're told that there is one mediator between God and man. And who is that? The man Christ Jesus. And so Moses is a type and shadow, so to speak, of who Jesus is going to be. The way Moses functions for the children of Israel is a forerunner or a picture of the way that Jesus is going to function for humanity. And in your own time, if you go and read Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses actually says that there's a prophet who's coming after me who you're going to listen to. And he's talking about the coming of the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus of Nazareth. But that's actually the way the mediator works, is that the mediator speaks and hears from the Lord and then reveals it to people. And that's exactly who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. But Moses is functioning that way for Aaron and for the children of Israel. Now, this message, this revelation, is about the arranging of the lamps. Notice, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. Now, if you're with us all the way back in Exodus chapter 25, how many of you guys were here for Exodus chapter 25? My dreads were about, you know, eight inches shorter when we were there probably at this point. A couple of years back, we were in Exodus 25. It's been an amazing journey since then, hasn't it? We've been through a number of series through the book of Leviticus. But the idea, if you remember, the lampstand or the menorah, it was one lampstand, but it had seven different lights of it. And you notice what the focus is, is that God wants the lampstand that's inside the holy place within the tabernacle. All right, hold on. Some of you probably weren't here for this. You're like, what is he talking about? Now, let me remember, God has set up a portable worship tent for his people. 
right? There is the outer courts where anybody could come in and there's a couple pieces of furniture out there. There's the, the golden laver, which the priest could wash their hands. And then there's the brazen altar where all these different sacrifices went on. Then there was the tent. And inside the tent, there was two compartments. The larger compartment we call the holy place, right? And then the smaller compartment was called the holy of holies. Inside the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant, this box that had the, the two cherubim whose wings were touching. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies only one time a year, but first he had to make atonement for himself and for the people. That's on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, in the holy place, any of the priests could come, right? And there was three pieces of furniture. There was the lampstand, there was the table of showbread, and then there was the altar of incense, now, what you have to realize is that the lampstand is the only light in the tabernacle. So there's only one light in there, and this is this lampstand. It's one lampstand, but it's got seven different lamps on it. Now, you would think that if there's only one light source in this holy place within this tent, it needs to give off the most light, right? Make sense? How many of you, if you only have one light in your house, you put it underneath the cabinet. No, right? You put it right in the middle of the room. Why? That it gives off the maximum light. That's exactly what's going on here. See, God isn't even missing a detail. He's saying, look, when you set up the menorah in there, because it's the only light fixture, I want you to make sure that the lamps are facing outward, that they're not facing towards the back. Why? Because when God wants light to be there, he wants it to be the what? The brightest. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then he tells the disciples, you're the light of the world, it's a reminder that God does not want our lights to burn a little bit. He wants us to be as bright as possible. And I believe so much of what God is doing in your life, in my life presently, the things that he's working on us with, the things that he's revealing to us and saying, listen, I know you've always done that, but I want you to be different than that. And I've, I have a plan for how I want to do this. So much of what God is doing is because he wants us to burn brightly. He wants our lights to shine with the greatest intensity. That's kind of powerful, isn't it? That God's plan for your life is, is not a little bit of light, but the maximum amount of light to be reflected through your life. And I think in order for us to do that, we have to learn how to trust God. Now, you know what the problem with having to trust God is? You got to trust God. You, get, you end up in situations where your default is going to be, I don't want to trust God, or I really like to trust in my own ways and my own plans. God's like, no, no, no. The only way you can burn brightly in the world is if you learn how to trust me. And the only way I can teach you how to trust me is to put you in situations that I will prove myself trustworthy in. You know what the problem with situations that we need God to prove himself trustworthy in is we never like those situations, right? Because those situations imply the fact that we are outside of our own resources. That's what they imply. And so God's desire for your life and for my life and for all of the followers of Jesus is that we, our light shines and it shines with the greatest intensity that it may produce the most light in the world. And if you think about light being produced, there's a cost to that. If you've ever made a fire when you're camping, the wood gives up its life so that light can be generated. 
And I believe that God wants us, like this lampstand, not to be faced in the wrong direction, where it doesn't give off the maximum intensity. But he makes sure, he makes sure that this thing is faced outward. It's faced towards the front, so that it will give off the maximum amount of life. Now, what's interesting is we hear again in Verse four, the workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from its shaft to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. So we're reminded now that this seven-armed lampstand was made of one piece of gold. And the idea, if you were to think about it from a place of value, one big piece of gold that is artistically hammered into place is of more value than a bunch of gold and it's welded together. And so the idea here is that the light is one continuous uniformed experience. And I think the beauty of that is what it reminds us is that our light is generated by Jesus and as we abide in the vine, as he is light, we become light as well. So you're not gonna get light by just kind of adding like a little religion onto your life. I remember when I first came to know Jesus, that's what I thought you do. Okay, so I'm a pretty bad dude, or I thought I was, and not bad meaning bad, but bad, I mean, not bad meaning good, but bad meaning bad. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll just get a little religion, and then I'll be okay. And you can't just, like, put a little, like, a little religion on top, and all of a sudden, you're going to shine brightly. It's, Jesus is like, I want you to abide in me. As I am the vine, you are the branches. All of your life and all of the sustenance that you need to be the person I've called you to be, it comes from being absolutely and completely intimately connected to who I am. But I believe many of us, we're just trying to sprinkle a little Jesus on. Like, I'm here to tell you, if you come on Wednesdays and Sundays, or if you're really extra spiritual, come Saturdays and Sundays and Wednesdays, if all you do is do that and you don't walk with Jesus the other days, then you're just trying to sprinkle a little Jesus juice on your own life. And that's not God's design. True biblical Christianity is not when you come to a worship service. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's choosing to let your ethics and your morals and your behaviors and your ideas be absolutely and completely identified with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when I think of this one piece of gold hammered beautifully and artistically, but it's all one piece, it just reminds me that I want to be one with Jesus. And isn't that how Jesus prayed for the people of God in John 17? He's like, I want you all to be one as I'm one with the Father and you're, he's one with me and you're in me and you, you guys, are, you know. It's this glorious and strange and mysterious unity that happens when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus. It's all there, completely unified. Now what's interesting, as a side note about this lampstand, is that Revelation chapter 1 Verse 20 tells us that the lampstand is a picture of the what? Of the church. He's walking in the midst of the lampstands, which is the church. Why? Because the church is the light of the world. Powerful picture. Now, so we get the lamp. He wants it to burn brightly. In verse 5, look at what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave all their body 
and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering and you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites and Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bull and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. Now, here we have the official consecration of the Levites, right? Now, we've seen a lot of these pieces in the book of Exodus at the end, the book of Leviticus, and again in the book of Numbers. But we are reminded once again that the Levites, in order for them to fulfill the work that God wants them to do, they need to be ceremonially seen as cleansed. And this is a big picture all through the Bible. When you think about in the New Testament, when John the Baptist came doing this ritual bathing that we call baptism for the confession and repentance of sin, this picture was one of we have been soiled and now we are made clean again. And that's an important distinction because we live in a culture that says nothing soils. That's, that's a cultural value in, 21st, in the 21st century West. Nothing is bad, nothing defiles, it's my life and I can do what I want with it. But the Bible doesn't let you do that. The Bible says that there are things about our lives that render us dirty and unclean. And over and over again, we find when we have become contaminated by things that soil our lives, there is the need for a cleansing. And the climax of this picture, of course, is when Jesus in John chapter three says, Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. Because Nicodemus, the great rabbi, is like, well, okay, wait, hold on, Jesus. You're like, like, dude, what you talking about, Jesus, you know? It's like, how can an old guy go back in his mom's womb and be born again? I mean, come on, you know? He doesn't get it. And Jesus is like, look, you're a teacher of Israel. You don't get this stuff? He's saying, think about when a baby's born. I just became a, an uncle again. You got to pray for my twin sister. She's got five boys now. She's got a basketball team. I mean, can you imagine when they're all teenagers, what that house is going to smell like? I'm going to get her like stocking Febreze. I mean, it's just, just stinky teenage, five of them, you know. Oh, man, God bless her. But it's like when my little nephew, he's not really ne little because he was like, born like nine pounds, man. <sighs> sumo. He's sumo. You know, but when he's born, that baby comes out, that baby's fresh, right? That baby is fresh. I mean, when a new baby is born, it's so beautiful because they're brand new. They haven't even started breaking down yet. It's like they just got here. It's all fresh and new. And that life, there's been nothing that's gone on yet. It's all in front of them. 
And so when Jesus says to Nicodemus, listen, you need to be born again, he's talking about the ultimate example of complete renewal and cleansing. Like you've lived all this life, you're going to get a whole new life, brand new, just as you are. And it's the same picture. It's this, listen, you have died and you're being resurrected. You have become soiled and you need to be Cleanse, And I'm here to tell you, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's about acknowledging the fact that I have made mistakes and that has soiled my life. And God is saying, I want to cleanse you again. I want to take all the junk and I want to wash you down. I want to give you brand new clothes and I want to set you free in newness of life. And that is the good news of the Christian message. Because the alternatives is that you have to do all these things and hopefully when you get to the end, you'll be clean. So like there's some religions that say, listen, you need to stop thinking and you need to make your body into a pretzel. And if you think about nothing long enough, you'll be nothing and you'll be free. There's no guarantee of that. So you can get yourself all crooked. You can mess your joints up trying to be all pretzeled up. I mean, there's a million ways to try and hopefully get there, except Jesus says, listen, just come to me. I'll accept you just as you are. It doesn't matter how messed up your life is and I will cleanse you. I will take you from being soiled to clean. I will take you from being beat up and used up, and I will make you brand new. The Apostle Paul even said it. If anyone's in Christ, there are what? New creation. Old things have passed away. What? All things are made new. And when it says all things, you know what all things mean? All things. You guys are Bible scholars. All things mean all things are made new. If anyone's in Christ, new creation, who's anyone? It means anyone. And if God could redeem someone with a murderous intent like the Apostle Paul or King David, then God could redeem someone like you or me. So this all about the Levites, we, we once again rehearse this whole cleansing ritual. Notice, sprinkle the water of purification on them. Let them shave all their body. Now, I, I want to make all sorts of jokes about whole body waxing, but we'll leave that off for today. But now, listen, you got to realize that back in the day, like your body hair was part of like your life's protection. It was long before, you know, Under Armour was around and, you know, your favorite, you know, zero degree uh, sleeping bag. It was, it was, you were more exposed to the elements back in the day than you are now. And so the reason they would grow their facial hair is not because they were Portland before Portland is Portland or anything like that. The reason they would grow their facial hair is because that protected them in the elements. That's why it was there. And so the idea of shaving all your body hair, again, it rem it's a kid again. I'm here to tell you, I wasn't born with a beard. It wasn't, you know, it happened later. And so the idea here is for these, for these Levites, they're getting cleansed with water, and then they're getting their whole body shaved as if they're starting all over again. It's all starting again. And then they wash their clothes. Right? And then we begin with the offerings. You have the young bull with its grain offering, a fine flour. And we did all of this in the book of Leviticus. You can check out our sacrifice series from the book of Leviticus. We went through all the different sacrifices, what they mean, how they work, how we don't understand some of them and how it all worked. But the idea here is we've gone through all these and we begin the elaborate sacrificial rituals. Jesus is 
Webster's Dictionary defines friction as the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another. We experience friction all around us, from the people at work to the people who won't leave the left lane when you're in traffic. Irritation and friction affect us every day. But probably the most significant area where we face friction these days is when our modern culture collides with our faith. They just don't play nice sometimes. I recently shared a series called Friction with our family of faith at Crossroads Community Church, and I would love to share it with you as well. This series has revolutionized our thinking about how we, the body of Christ, are to exist and engage the culture around us for the cause of Christ. It comes straight out of the book of Daniel. This month, we've created a special mini-series from the Friction series just for you, the Jesus is Real radio listener. Here's Josh with the info you need to get yourself a copy. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio through the month of May with a gift of $25 or more will receive a special three-part mini-series that was taken from the Friction series that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. To receive your three-CD set from the Friction series, simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you'll have the opportunity to give a one-time gift or support Jesus Is Real Radio on a monthly basis. Please remember, every bit of support you provide helps us continue and expand what God is doing through Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, may God bless.